This week's parsha is Parshas Yisrael. Parshas Yisrael is the parsha of Kabbalah Satira. And we find something very strange with regard to Kabbalah Satira, and that is that Klal Yisrael really, really, really wanted Kabbalah Satira. Klal Yisrael came to Midbar Sinai and Rosh Chodesh Sivan, Vayichan Shom Yisrael, Neged Ahar, Ki Ish Echad, Belev Echad, they wanted to be Makabal the Torah in a very, very extreme fashion. In fact, they even went so far as to say, Nasev and Ishma. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them about the Torah, they didn't ask to first hear a little bit about the details of what the Torah involves, like the other Umay Sayyidam did. They just said, Nasev and Ishma. First, we want to be macabre on ourselves to do whatever it says in the Torah, and after that we'll listen to the fine print. The Gemara in Shabbos says that when the Malachi Asharis heard Klal Yisrael say Nasev and Ishma, they got very upset. And they said, Mi Gila who is the one that revealed this secret to be Matim, Nasel, and Nishma? That's something that only Malachim know. That's a secret that Malachim do. They're the ones that first say we will do and then ask questions later. Klal Yisrael, who told them this secret of Nasa before Nishma? Klal Yisrael was all in. Klal Yisrael extremely wanted to be Makabal the Torah. There was no doubt in their mind that this is something that they wanted to do. There was no hesitation. And yet the Gemara tells us that at the time of Matan Torah, Kofa HaKadosh Baruch Hu Aleim Esahar Kigigis HaKadosh Baruch Hu took Har Sinai and suspended it over the collective head of Klal Yisrael and said in Mekablam Esatayra Mutav if you're Mekablam the Torah that's great V'imlav and if you're not Mekablam the Torah Shomtei Kvuraschem you're going to be buried right here and right now if Klal Yisrael was so intent on accepting the Torah if Klal Yisrael was at such a high in terms of their Kedusha, they went from the Memtesh Shari Tumon day by day, from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim until Mantaira, the Yimei they climbed out of that pit that they were in, all the way to the highest Madregas known to man, Aniya Marte, Lekim Atem. They were on the Madrega of Malachi Ashares, and they wanted to be Makabulatayra. They were doing amazing. And yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says at the last minute, I'm forcing you to keep the Torah. If you're Makabal Torah, fine, but if not, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to bury you. Why was that necessary? Isn't that like not nice? Klai Yisrael said, we're going to do it. And we want to do it. We're into it. We're holding there. Everything is amazing. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to sort of change the whole mood and put a fear into them to Makabal the Torah. They were doing it. 
And the Rishayim all speak about this question. And I'd like to suggest, and it's really based on Alev Eliyahu or Belyulapian, I'd like to suggest an alternate suggestion. And that's where we come to the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people think, would wish that the schmooze was in Arizona. Because it's a little cold in the room right now. But, um, but it's very football-esque. To be cold, you have to you know, see, the, see your breath a little bit. The, we've discussed in previous years the, the attraction that so many millions of people around the world have to sports. What is this thing that the whole world is crazy about? soccer and football and basketball and hockey and people go crazy and they, they're willing to, to spend exorbitant amounts of money to get tickets to sit in frigid weather to watch their team try to win. I mean, we grew up with it so it's normal, but imagine if you would land from Mars and you'd see this. It would be really bizarre People standing, sitting, running, screaming, you know, for their team. They're not making any major money doing this. They're just basically fans. They're spectators. And yet they're buying all the merchandise of their team and they're rooting their team on. They're willing to travel anywhere and go make tailgate parties. And, 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 and what is this? And if your team wins, you throw big parties. And if it loses, you, you know, flip over some cop cars, right? kill a few people, make hafkanot. Like, what's, what is this thing? And with Nassim Bachvogel, of all people, the person in the world who is like the furthest away from anything sports-related, Mashkiach of Lakewood, Zechitzadik Levracha, who is Mamesh, an Ish Kaddish Vitar, he explains in one of his svarim, I once found buried in one of his svarim, somewhere in the middle of like the fifth volume of one of his Musr svarim, that the point of sports is basically a human misunderstanding. You see, every single person that comes down to this world is supposed to be a warrior. We're supposed to be fighters. What are we supposed to be fighting against? Who is our enemy? The enemy, of course, is the Yitzhahara. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us the Yitzhahara, and the Yitzhahara is a malach of Hashem, just like any other malach. The Yitzhahara is a malach who is designed to try to put us into Nisiyanis. He's not really hoping that we fail, but that's his job. And... We don't necessarily see it as the Yitzhahara, but we have to train ourselves to see things as being the Yitzhahara. And if we fight, and we put in a really good battle our whole lives, and we succeed, and we win more battles than we lose, and we go up to Shamayim, the Rabbi Shalom says, you won. Everybody knows, deep down inside, when we're born, that we're warriors. We're here to fight that battle. That's the one 
point of life. The Gros says this. The Gros says that the person was only put down here to fix his Midas and basically to fight this war with the Yetzirah. And if he's not working on himself, then there's no point in life. Life is not about all the things that we think life is about. Life is one thing and one thing only, and that is to improve ourselves and to get closer to the Rabbi Islam in the process. So we're all here to fix ourselves, to fight the good fight against the Eight Sahara and to do battle. So we, Baruch Hashem, who are here today and have heard this truth, we know that we're warriors to fight the Eight Sahara, but the 99.9999% of yeshiva, I mean of the world, that's not here today, they don't know this truth. They don't know this truth, unfortunately. And so they desperately look to be warriors. They look to be warriors. They look to fight. So sports is a venue which gives a person the ability to engage in milchama vicariously. If you examine most of the sports in the world, like the ones that I listed before, every sport basically except for baseball, which is a barrier if they Every sport, if you think about it, what is sports? Sports is football, basketball, baseball. It's going into your enemy's territory, gaining ground, and being able to go against the enemy and trying to get all the way to the end zone to get a touchdown, to get a goal, to get the the, the puck in the net, to basically go into your enemy's territory and conquer territory and be victorious. That's what sports is, if you think about it in, in Musser terms. And so if I root for my team, if I am a Giants fan and I go to the Giants games and I root, root them on and I watch them go into the enemy territory, I am like a warrior. I'm living through those people down on the field and their victory is my victory, their loss is my loss. I feel like some sort of Soldier going to battle, attacking, victory. And that's how human beings are able, says Rav Nassim Machvogel, to feel purpose in life, to understand somehow inside that I'm doing what I'm supposed to. They're not doing what they're supposed to. That's not the real battle. The real battle is internal. It's not a a battle on the field. It's a battle inside of us. But that's able to be yaitse der chayv. As far as they know, they don't know better. So they're yaitse der chayvas melchama through this vicarious war on the field. This is what Rav Nassim Ha'chavagov said. We, we know better. We don't need these battles vicariously. We don't have to go and be a fan of some some baseball, some, some football team, some soccer team, some, fo- some hockey team. Because we know that we have the real battle to win inside and to wage inside. And we know that regardless of what the teams on the field are doing, it's not really accomplishing anything for me personally. 
it's just sort of like a way of feeling like you're doing what you're supposed to in life because everybody knows that they're supposed to be engaged in warfare, but they don't know the real warfare. So what happens on the field, as interesting, as exciting as it may be, and it is, that's merely a mushal for us to understand what we're really supposed to be doing. Which takes us to the Super Bowl. Now I know that we had a super mishmar in here, and I'm not trying to undermine the super mishmar by saying that you know there's a lot of value in watching the Super Bowl itself. I'm not saying that at all. Quite the opposite. The people that were here on Super Mishmar were doing exactly what they were supposed to be. That is the point. The point is that when you are tempted to go and watch a Super Bowl, and instead you opt to fight the Eight Sahara by sitting in a base medrash, then you won the Super Bowl, hands down. But I think that even if you did not watch the Super Bowl, there still is a lesson to be learned from this year's Super Bowl. For those of you that may have heard, and I'll be honest with you, my son, I'll blame it on him, he wanted to listen to the Super Bowl. So we were driving somewhere together, and on the way back, we were listening in the car to the last quarter of the Super Bowl. And I was very impressed with my son because it was 10 o'clock at night and we, we parked by Kesser Tyra to catch the 10 o'clock Myriv. And that was the, the highlight of the game was at, at 10 o'clock, at 9.59. And that was what the, the schmooze is going to be focusing on. That was when Seattle had the ball at the one-yard line. And they were down by a few points. If they would have scored the touchdown, they would have won. They would have taken the Super Bowl. They would have been the... They would have been it. And it was Pashut that they were going to win. They only had one yard to conquer. And my son, I wanted to stay in the car. <laughs> my son said, no, we've got to go to Myriv. So we went to Myriv, but it was a done deal. I mean, it was just, I just like to hear, you know, when they win and the screaming, whatever, but we just assumed that they would win. So we went to Davin Myriv, and my son is a Patriot fan, probably Davin Myriv really well. And he, and we came back in the, in the car after Myriv, and what I expected to hear, I didn't hear. I expected that the Seattle Seahawks were the world champion. But the Patriots won. How did the Patriots win? Because the quarterback for Seattle had the football at the one-yard line, and instead of giving it to, to some guy to jump in over the touchdown line and win the game, which they should have, the coach called a very controversial call that the quarterback should pass the football. And he made a pass, and it was probably a very good pass, but somebody from the Patriots, a new a rookie guy who was Bakashi, who was even on the team, he intercepted the ball in the end zone. And once he did that, the game was effectively over. 
and it was such a tumult. That was not what was supposed to happen. It was like the biggest chiddush in sports history. It's probably, they say, the best Super Bowl ever. Because they were supposed to have lost the Patriots and suddenly they won because the pass was intercepted in the end zone. And if we, ex- if we sort of apply Rav Nassim Bachfogel's metaphor of sports to the Sahara and to life, I think that the Super Bowl teaches us a great lesson. We have a Klal Gadol in life that as great as a tzaddik may be, the greatest of tzaddikim never ever can be able to be too comfortable with who they are and to be too sure of themselves and to rest on their laurels. Every tzaddik is always susceptible to taiva. Every tzaddik is always susceptible to a very powerful urge of the Sahara. Any tzaddik, every tzaddik, at any stage in life, Rebellion Lapian brings a beautiful riot to this. From the parsha of Kiseitze. In the parsha of Kiseitze, it says that by Mochemes Harishos, Klai Yisrael sometimes engages in optional warfare. And when they go out to battle, these soldiers, there's a, an officer, a general, that makes certain announcements to the soldiers. And one of the things is, who is it amongst us, amongst the soldiers that are fearful? Who are afraid? Whoever is afraid, go home. You don't deserve to be here. You don't belong on the battlefield. If you're afraid, goodbye. So the Gemara in Saita on Mem Dalit says, who, what does that mean, afraid? Does it mean that he's afraid of Muhammad? He's already a soldier. He's not afraid of Muhammad. So the Gemara says, He's afraid of the Averis that he has. So the Gemara says, What Averis did he have? What Averis are we talking about? We're not talking about the Gimel Chamurai Sayyiraiver. Even a person who has talked between putting on the tefillin shalyad and tefillin shalraj, we know you're not supposed to be mafsik, it's considered to be one mitzvah. And if you're mafsik, that's an avera. But I wouldn't call that the biggest avera in human history. But even if you're an, you were either that small avera of being soft in tefillin shalyad and tefillin shalraj, you're allowed to go home. And you have to go home. You're a yare. You're, you're afraid of avera shabiyaday. You're not invited to do battle. And they leave. What do we see from this Gemara, says Rebel Yalapian? We see that who are the remaining soldiers that stayed on the battlefield? The Tzadikim Gemurim, the Stiplers, and the Ravshachs, and the and the Ravan Kotlers, and the and, and Ravad Yosef. These are the people that remained on the battlefield. These are the people that remained on the battlefield. There was once, my father took me, all the show, my father took me years ago to, on a trip. Together we went to Germany to visit Kivrayavis 
and then we went to um, England. Went to London. We spent uh, about a week, a beautiful week together. And I remember we we stayed at a hotel in London, a very chashuva hotel called the Mankam. And it was on like a cul-de-sac, like on a big, a big like semicircle. And on one side was this beautiful hotel, and then there was a beautiful shul called the Marble Arch Synagogue, which was right next door. And we dove in there on Shabbos, and it was a very chashuva shul, like there, everyone was wearing, or the chashuva minister were wearing like these big bowler hats, like the, you know, like as you'd expect the chashuva in England to wear. And then by Shalashudis, there was a young rabbi that spoke. And at the time, this is going back many, many years, he was like an unknown, at least to me. His name was Jonathan Sachs. At the time, he wasn't the chief rabbi. I think he was the rabbi of this, this local shul. And of course, he became very famous. But I remember he said by Shalashudis that in, in Volajan Yeshiva, the Velazhna Yeshiva, they were already like maskilim at some point in history that snuck into the Yeshiva that became, you know, like made a very powerful Chabura in the Yeshiva, believe it or not. And they made a Purim play. And the Purim play was basically a reenactment of this that I'm describing to you, this scene about um, the Amochemes Mitzvah, I mean, Amochemes Rishos. And there were people on the stage that Bachram, and after every, after every uh, you know, announcement, who is it that got married, that didn't have a chance to you know, be with his wife for a year, or go home, and then like, you know, many people ran off the stage. And then who is the person that bought a house and didn't live in there, and then another many people ran off the stage. And who is the person that... You know, planted a vineyard, bought a vineyard, didn't, didn't taste from the food. Don't. So there was basically no one left on the stage except for like the Shagas Aryeh. There was like a, somebody wearing like a, you know, a card that said Shagas Aryeh and like the Pnei Yeshua and the Ktais. And those were the three people left on the stage. And that was basically the joke. It started out with like many, many people and it ended up with just three people. And they were, you know, and that, that was, that was the Purim spiel. I don't think that would necessarily be too funny here, but I, I've seen a lot of perm spiels here, and I didn't think they were funny either. So, um, so, so they told Reb Chaim, they told Reb Chaim Brisker, I believe, you know, about this skit, and he says, you know, that's exactly how it happened, but they left out the punchline. The punchline is that those G'daylam won the war. That's exactly how it looked. The battle was basically fought by the G'dayim, by the Tzadikim, and they were the ones that won the wars. But Zafir Vayelapiyam, look at the parsha there. In Parsha's Kiseitse, it says that after the Molchemes Rishus, what's the next parsha? The parsha of Yifas Tayar. That when you go to battle and you see a beautiful woman and you want to, you know, you want her... So we allow you to take her, but first you got to do this, that, and the other thing, and then you can have her. And Rashi says, like Dibra Taira Ella Keneged Yetzahara. The Taira was addressing the Yetzahara. The Taira was trying to sort of make an accommodation for people that have a Yetzahara. You can have a Yetzahara, and we'll figure out a way to work through it. Who are we talking about? 
We're not talking about Stam Chayalim that, you know, that are, that aren't Shemri Tayyar Mitzvahs, that, you know, have Taivas, have Yetzaras, Yifasayar comes up. We're talking about Gedalei Oilam, people, Tzadikim, that didn't even have uh, now they were a kala like being suffering Reich. they were the ones that did battle and they're the ones that had the Sahara. Who are we dealing with? Who is the Tyra addressing when we speak about Yifas Tayar? We're talking about great people. We see from here that a tzaddik is always susceptible to a Yitzhahara, period. As great as you are, you may be the most chashavah guy in yeshiva, the biggest masmid, the firmest guy in the world. You have a yetzahara, and your yetzahara can attack you at the when you least expect it. <coughs> this yetzahara, you're going to think, well, you know, okay, fine. When I'm young, those soldiers are probably, you know, robust, you know, very vital in the prime of life type, so maybe they have the Sahara. But, you know, let's fast forward a little bit. You're going to tell me that big tzaddikim that are really old, they have the Sahara too. Big tzaddikim, rabbis, rosh Shivas, great people, they also, they also. So there's a Yushalmi and Shabbos. In Perak Aleph of Shabbos, in the Yushalmi it says, Maisa b'chassid zakein echa. Listen to this Maisa, it's an amazing Maisa. There was an old chassid, and he used to teach Pirkei Avis, and the mission of his, as we know it, in Parak Beis, says that Altamin Don't believe in yourself until the day of death. Don't at all be in any way too confident in your ability to just cruise through life. It's not true. Until the day that you die, you still have the Yitzhara. Basically what we're talking about today. This Zuckin changed the Girsa. He says, I'm an old man. I got no more Yitzhara left. There's no, I, you know, I'm good to go. Uh, it's just straight to the finish line for me. I'm done. And so instead of teaching Al-Tamid Ba'atzmacha Adyayim Maischa, he says, Al Tamin Baatzmucha Ad Ace Siknascha. Until you get old, meaning un- until you, you're on ARP, you know, AARP, I used to always like make fun of that until like I'm almost eligible for that. So I'm gonna stop, you know, your AARP is basically when you get a certain age, you get certain benefits, like medical benefits and you know, whatever cool stuff like, you know, triple A cards and stuff like that. So, you know, until you're that age, until you, you're, you know, you qualify for ARP, then, you know, you're in trouble. You got a Yitzhah. But once you get past a certain age in life, you know, then you can already believe in yourself. There's no, no, no Yitzhah, no time. I'm an old man. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm done. In Shemayim, they were upset with this chassid, that he would change the gears, that he felt that it's only at Yitzhah, but after that, you can believe in yourself. They didn't like what he did. So you know what they did? They gave the Satan Rishos to appear in the image of a beautiful woman. Not Stam a beautiful woman, but the Gemara says, a woman of unparalleled beauty, Mimais Tubalkayin Kamaya. 
from the days of Tubal Cain. I don't know exactly what was happening in the time of Tubal Cain, but apparently that was some, you know, that was, that was some line of demarcation. From that time on, there was never ever somebody as beautiful as this woman. The Satan appears to this old Chassid. The old Chassid sees this woman come in, and the Gemara basically says, he was flirting with her. He was schmoozing with her in a way that was completely unbecoming to a chassid of his stature. He basically tripped up. He believed in himself. He thought that he was good. He thought that he was done with his Yitzhara. He thought that it was going to be just a layup until his death. And the Satan proved him wrong. The Satan proved that as old as you may be, you still have a Yetzirah. And at that time, he felt very bad. This Chassid like wanted to kill himself. He felt so guilty and so depressed over the fact that he had given in, he had succumbed to this Yetzirah and to schmooze with this woman. He felt like terrible. And he, and then the Satan was told to reveal himself to this Chassid and to explain that I'm really the Satan, I'm not a woman, and that we were just sent down here just to show you that in Shemayim they were very displeased with your changing of that Lashon of the Mishnah. Because you're wrong. You cannot trust in yourself Ad Yaim Maischa. Until the day that you're dead, you can't trust in yourself. That's how strong the Eight Sahara is. I saw once some Misa from Rebel Yalapian. Rebel Yalapian, he was once, when he was very, very old, he was a Rosh Hashiva in Eretz Yisrael, and he was, he had a friend over, a friend from his childhood, was invited to stay by his house, and this friend of his, who was actually a very close friend of mine's grandfather, his name was Rip Kersner, he, um, he woke up and he found Rebellion Lapian pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and he was saying something to himself over and over again, like a mantra. He was saying, Don't bring the abomination into the house. So, Rav Kersner, who was a guy himself, he says, you know, what are you saying? He says, well, I'll explain to you like this. You know, I'm Rosh Hashiva, and we're going to go now to Davin. And we have a big island in the base, Madrid, hundreds of Bachram. And being the Rosh Hashiva, they wait for me to say Kriya Shema, you know, until I say Hashem Lekechem Emes, they're waiting for me. The Chazan only says that when I say that. And they wait for me to, to make Isa Shalom before the Chazan starts Shman Esrei. And that's pretty, you know, makes a person feel good about themselves when you have hundreds of people waiting for you to finish your Shman Esrei and your Kriya Shema. And it's possible that a little gaiva might creep into me when they do that. And gaiva is something that's a tayeva. Tayavas Hashem kol gevalev. Whoever has a haughty heart, that's an abomination in Akhenesh Baruch Hu's eyes. 
And so I keep repeating to myself every morning before I go into the base Medrash, don't bring that abomination, i.e. gaiva. Do not allow that to enter the home of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Don't bring that into the base Medrash. Don't have gaiva. Don't have a Yetzirah for covet for gaiva. So if Kersner looks at him and he says, Rebellia, he says, you're in your 90s. You're in your 90s. Are you still... Are you still so affected by Yitzhahari? You still have a taiva for COVID at your age? Like, Admasai, like, when is it over? You know, when you're a young guy and you're, you know, in the prime of life, then Gaiva and COVID and Kinna and Taiva. At your age, you're in your 90s, you're still like pacing and Musr and Taiva, Taiva. So Rebellion says you have to know something. He says, these Midas, Midas rise, COVID. Taiva, Yetzirah, they are like a hand grenade. A hand grenade, you know, sometimes a hand grenade, the pin comes out of the hand grenade, and then sometimes it lands and it doesn't explode. And it could be sitting in some place for like 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. People could go to Vietnam, and like a kid, Rahman Watsan is like, finds the hand grenade, starts playing with it, and it explodes. Many, many years after the pin is out, it still is always potentially explosive. And he says, that's how Midas Rais are as well. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's always, there's always the potential to explode. The Midas Rais could creep up in a person and out of nowhere, you could have Taiva, you could have Kinnah, you could have, as much as you may have worked on that. And you thought that you had completely obliterated the Eitzahara in one regard, another regard, one Mida, another Mida. It's not true. It's never over. It's never, ever over. If you look in the Shari Tshuva, he brings, when he speaks about Daiga, one of the, he holds that one, he has many, many Ikriya Tshuva, things that you have to go through in the process of Tshuva. One of them, you have to, one of them is that you have to worry constantly. To worry. What do you have to worry about? You have to worry that maybe you didn't really do Tshuva. Or maybe, even if you did Tshuva, it could always come back. Those Midas, those Hirhurim, those Yetzaras can always, they're there, they're latent, and they could attack you at any moment. There's a Gemara in Brachas and Avchesem and Aleph, Liboi Rachame Afilad Zibula Basraisa Shalma. A person should always ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have mercy on him, even until the last shovelful of dirt is put on top of your kever, you still have to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for mercy that everything should go well. Until the last moment of your life, you have to dive in that everything should be okay. Because it's not so poshut. I saw in a sefer called Nachle Mayim from Reblazer Ginsberg, who's a, he's a very big rob in Flatbush. He brings a maisa in the name of Meir Arik. He says, Rav Shalom Shvadron used to quote Rav Meir Arik that the Baal Eshel Avram, there was a Sefer called the Eshel Avram, and he was very, very mocked never to drink or never to even remotely have anything to do with Yayin Nesach. Yayin Nesach is Gaya wine, wine that wasn't 
um, that may have been compromised by a guy in one way or another. The fear of Yayin Nesach, of course, is that the guy might have been Menasech Yayin for his Avaydazara. And the Chacham extended not just Yayin Nesach, but any guy, a guy is not allowed to touch wine. But this Eshel Avram was so mocked on Yayin Nesach that he didn't, he would make his own wine privately. He would cover it up after he finished making it. And he wouldn't even let a guy look at the wine. That's how mocked he was about this Yayin. And they asked him why. His son says, why, Tati, why are you so mocked about Yayin Nesach? And he said, the reason why I'm so mocked is because I had a Gilui Menashemayim. I had a divine revelation that this is not my first time coming back to this world. I'm a Gilgal. And the last time I came around in this lifetime, in this life, I messed up in the department of Yayin Nesach. And I'm here to correct that. I'm here to be misaki in that of the air of Yayin Nesach. I can't mess up again. So I have to be very careful my whole life to be vigilant against Yayin Nesach. And I have to go away from it in the furthest, in the furthest way because I know that the Yitzhah is trying to mess me up so that I come back again and again. So I want to really be vigilant. He was very sick. He had a very bad heart condition and he was very sick and the doctors were called and the doctors prescribed a certain medication. And they ran out to the store with a prescription. They filled the medication. They came back. They put a spoon of this medicine on into his mouth. His eyes open up. He spits the medicine out. He says, Yayin Nesech, and he dies. And they went back to the pharmacy and they, the pharmacist told them, yeah, there's 20% wine in this medicine. And Rameir Arik said that you see from this Misa, that's the Pshan of the Gemara and Brachas, that a person always has to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for kindness, for mercy. That you should have peace until the last shovelful of dirt is put on your kever because you cannot ever let your guard down. You see that the Eshla Avram who was trying so hard his entire life to be Nizar, to be Nizar and to be Nishmar from Yayin Nesach, he almost slipped up at the very end of his life. The Yitzhara never dies. As much as you think the Yitzhara is dead, he's not dead. It's like, like in a horror movie. You know, you, the guy is dead and you think he's dead. You, here's a trick. If you ever watch a horror movie, the guy is never really dead. Okay? Don't get scared because he's going to get up and he's going to come back with a big knife. And that's how the Yitzhara is. You think you killed the Yitzhara, you really think the guy's dead? He's not dead. You may have really, you know, given him a one-two punch. You may be very good and you're working hard and that's wonderful. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing with our life. But never, ever think for a moment that you are above the Yetz Sahara, that you have triumphed, that you know, he is toast and he's finished, he's gone. It's not true. Until the moment that you die, when you're dead, when you stop having a pulse, that's when you could rest assured that the Yetz Sahara is gone. But up until that point, you have to always ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Achmanes that don't allow me to be Nikshah with the Yetz Sahara.
So a person always has to be mechazik himself. Reb Chatzka used to say that a person has to be mechazik himself even when he's about to die. Very often, a person that's about to die, he's in a hospital, sometimes he has like, he gets angry with HaKadosh Baruch at that point in time. You know, how could you do this to me? Why should I be sick? You have to be very careful. And he says that a person should learn and he should chazer over the Yud Gimel Ikrim when he's about to die because it's important to go and to die with all of your amuna intact. Because even at the end, it's not over until it's over. And once we've learned all of this about the Eight Sahara, I think we can understand a little bit the lesson of the Super Bowl. You see, Seattle thought that they had the game in hand. They were mamish at the one-yard line. They were seconds away from winning. If it wasn't, they were only a second down. If they didn't have the second down, they could have done on the third down, fourth down. Some, a Lynch would have gotten it in. One way or another, he would have gotten it in if he would have just given it the ball. It was a double pashut that they would have won the Super Bowl. No question about it. But there was an interception in the end zone. When a person is battling, when a person is doing his mochama in life, and you're fighting against the enemy, you're fighting against the opposition, you're fighting against your foes, the foe is the Eitzahara. And you think that it's over. The game is over. I'm winning. I'm in. I'm, it's done. Never believe that it's over until it's over. Because even in the end zone, even when you think that you're good, that it's done, that it's over, the game is finished, you can feel the trophy, you already are sizing the ring. Don't believe it. Even in the end zone, even when you think you're mamish done, it's there could be an interception. The Sahara is there, the Sahara could hop the ball, and you could lose, even at the end of the game. That's the way life works. You can never, ever let your guard down. I'm not only talking about older people, because even though we've spoken a lot about end-of-life issues, B'negea Yayin Nesach, and B'negea Datzokin, and the Gemaraan, in the Yushalmi, that's just examples of how it's never over, but it's not over on a daily basis over. Also, sometimes, you know, we have a good day of learning and then we go back to the dorm and we watch something that we shouldn't or we speak about something that we shouldn't or we act in a way that's inappropriate. Sometimes it could be at the end of a Seder, it could be at, we could be doing something really well, but we can mess up at the last moment. The Yitzhahara is always there. The Yitzhahara never dies. Until we're dead, the Yitzhahara is not dead. There's a great Misa with Rav Shach. Rav Shach, once by breakfast, he was very happy. He was eating with his family. He was very happy. He was already in his 90s. And his family says, Tati, why are you so happy? Zaydi, why are you so happy? So... Rav Shach says, because I beat the Yitzhahara. So what do you mean you beat the What Yitzhahara? So he says, last night I was out very late. You know, Rav Shach used to do like all these chasadim there, like books and books written about the tremendous 
chasadim that Rav Shach used to do on the side, not as Rosh Hashiva, just that people wouldn't ordinarily even ever find out had it not been, you know, he did a lot of chesed, he was a mamash and tzaddik nister, and came back very late, and and the next morning, you know, for us it's hard to wake up when we don't get enough sleep. But for, at 90 years old, at 93 years old, it's really tough to get up on, you know, on three hours of sleep. But he wanted to go to Yeshiva for davening. And he said that the Yitzhahara came to him as he was like starting to get out of bed. And the Yitzhahara said to him, says, you know, what are you getting out of bed? You're an old man. He went to sleep at like four o'clock in the morning. Now it's seven o'clock. It's cold out. No one's expecting you in yeshiva at your age anymore. If you, you know, you'll sleep a little later. Maybe you'll go to, you know, a shtibel somewhere. You'll dive in at the kaiso, whatever it is. But like, you know, it's fine. It's fine. And Rishak says, you know, I, I was about to listen. It sounded really tempting what he was saying. But then I thought of the Gemara that says that the Yitzhahara of a person is put into a person when he comes out as soon as a person is born as soon as a person comes out of his mother that's when the Yitzhahara is right away injected inside of him so I thought to myself what's the Yitzhahara tying it to me that I'm an old man I don't have to do my Avaida I looked in the, at the Yitzhahara and said you're exactly the same age as I am we're, exact, we're twins we were born on the same exact day, at the same exact moment. When I was born, that's when you were born. And look at you. You're a 93-year-old Yetzirah that got up this morning to do your Avaidah, to try to keep me in bed. Says, so I'm going to do the same. I'm also going to do my Avaidah. I'm going to get out of bed. And this story is like an amazing story in so many different ways, but... To me, like the most amazing thing about the story is that Rav Shach in 93 still had a Yitzhahara. Rav Shach was the Gadol Adar, the Gain Adar, the Tzadik Adar, that he had 93 at Yitzhahara. It makes us feel a little better that it's okay for us to have a Yitzhahara also. But it also teaches us the obligation of a person to fight that Yitzhahara. And not to succumb, and to use Chachmas, and to use different schemes. And tachpulois, betachpulois also mochama. You have to make strategies to fight the Yitzhara. Because the Yitzhara is always there. And he always will be there. And unless we really are fighters, and we do the reason why we were put here, then we lost the game. Because even in the end zone, there's always somebody that's trying to intercept our passes. And getting back to the parsha, if you remember, we started with a question about Matan Taira. How is it that Hakadosh Baruch Hu felt the need to put the har over us and to threaten us after we've already done so much good? Haven't we showed Hakadosh Baruch Hu? through Nasa and Nishma, through all the days of the Sphira that we went and we were steiging, we were growing, we were gaining, we were conquering. Ki'ish echad, v'leiv echad, we were malach ha'asharis mamish, we even said Nasa and Nishma, like what more do you want? 
for Masa Kaddish Baruch Hu, to receive the Torah, you have to be Ma'ayim, you have to terrorize us on top of it, you have to teach us that if you don't take the Torah, I'm going to put the mountain over your head. Haven't we shown enough? Haven't we proved ourselves enough that we're going to do the right thing with you? Do you have to put the mountain over our head? Do you have to make it a coerced relationship? Haven't we shown our love? Haven't we shown our dedication to you? And the answer is that as great as a tzaddik is, as great as Klai Yisrael cumulatively, which in the Dardeo, we have to understand, you know, even though, you know, the, Dar, the Dara Midbar seems to get a lot of criticism throughout, you know, the coming weeks, Parshias, Kisisa, and beyond, the whole Seva by Midbar is like a disaster. One parish after the other parish of the Messianim and Kairach and but they were the Dardea. They were the Dar. This was the greatest generation ever. This was the Dar that left Mitzrayim with Nisim, that saw the Adashem Alayam, that saw the Kaila Subrakim, Van Ankavid Alahar. This was the generation. As great as they were, as great as they were. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows us. He knows that it's very possible that we could be doing amazing. We could mamish go to the 99th yard line, all the way to Har Sinai, and to be makabal the willingly, but there could always be an interception. It's always possible that if you're not really, really motivated, you could say, I really don't want to do this. Even at the last minute, something could happen. And I could be chayzer. I could change my mind. If the Yitzhahara allows me to, I could change my mind. So took that high just as a precautionary measure, just to get us over the 100-yard line and said, if you're Mechabal great! The Imlav Shem This is the lesson of our life. We always have to be on guard when it comes to the Eitzahara. The Eitzahara is so strong and so powerful. It's not easy just to flick off the Eitzahara. You think it's all like a little thing. I could do it. I could win. It's not Pasha at all. The biggest Gedayim, the biggest Tzadikim had to really do tremendous battle with the Eitzahara and even then needed to daven. And us who's living, who are living in this dar, who came out the opposite dar of the Dardaya. We have so many Yetzaharas that we can't even imagine. You can imagine. We all know. But there's so much out there. There's so much available to us. And so many of us are really trying so hard to do good. And it's amazing. But we have to always go and take an extra step and really try to work hard on controlling our taivas because it's one minute to the next and you could have a great day and at the end of the day something bad could happen and you're in a funny mood and you'll be nifshul and you could have a great zman and then you go home ben azmanim and it's a disaster and then you can have a great summer spring zman and then there's three months vacation this summer, and guys, mamish, you know, sometimes come back amazing, and sometimes... The Yitzhara is there. We know that. 
and we have to work on it. We have to be ma'ayim ourselves. We have to put sometimes the hair on top of us kigigis. And the way to do that is musr. There's really very other, very few options for us besides learning musr, talking about these things with one another, making strategies against the Sahara. There's so many tools out there that are there to help us fight these Yetzirahs in every single regard without getting specific. I think we're aware of you know, all the different things that we could do if we really want to be strong. And it's up to us to take advantage of those things, to make sure that we are, you know, if our Yetzirah is davening, so sometimes Bachim come to me and say, Rebbe, I can't get up for davening. What should I do? And I don't, you know, want to be this type of, you know, mashkir that's like, uh, you know, going to kill a guy if he doesn't wake up for davening. So I nicely offer, and I'm, the offer is out to anybody. I mean, everyone here comes to davening. That's always the... But tell whoever's not here, you know, that this offer applies to them also. That, you know, if you want to pay me a knas, you know, braces are very expensive for kids. I, I could use some extra money... And, you know, if you want to give me, let's say, $5 a day when you don't come, and, you know, you'll, that will be your, you and my deal, so we could do that. You can get a vector, get a friend to pour a cup of water on you if you don't get up in the morning. You could do a knas system amongst yourselves. If internet is a problem, so then there are filters, and there's web cover, and then there's... Uh, you know, a million different things. You could throw your computer in the garbage. There's a lot of different options out there, but sometimes you need to be smart because the Yitzhara is so powerful. More powerful than we can ever know. And even if we're doing great, and we're doing great, Kanai Nahara, I mean, you know, you guys are my heroes. But the Yitzhara is always there. And the Yitzhara never dies. And even in the end zone, even if we think we have them on the run, we never have them on the run. And our job, like we said before, is to do mochama. We have to never stop fighting. We have to always stay young in that regard. Once you're old, some old people say, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. You know, the Yitzhara is there. Either you, you already conceded to the Yitzhara of the fight, or you thought you triumphed over the Yitzhara. When you're young... You're still able. There, boys your age are in the army in Eretz Yisrael and in America. You are warriors. You're at the warrior age. You understand the need to do battle and you're equipped to do battle. And you can't give up the fight. You have to fight and fight and fight and only then can you really feel like you are accomplishing your life's mission. So as is Hashem, one to another, we have to make ourselves one chabura achas, ki ishechad b'leivechad, to be able to understand our duty in life and to be able to huddle together and to be able to get across the finish line as a team. Namitz Hashem, if we do that, we'll be zaycha to the ultimate Yeshua when the Rabbi Yisrael will finally ubila mavis lanesa kadesh will put away the Yitzhahara once and for all and will allow us to soar unhindered by this terrible albatross of the Yitzhahara that we've been fighting for our entire lives.
from the moment that we're born until the moment that we die, that, that we're no longer. It's a constant struggle. But we could win it. We have to be vigilant, we have to be strong, and we have to be a team. Have a good Shabbos.